So we've had some uh, Southerners from the States up here recently. Um, uh, I originally am from there. Our interns are from there. Um, and uh, Rachel was talking this morning about she's uh, got a, a thing this afternoon with some friends here, and she's wanting to expose them to some Southern culture. And so she has uh, made some Southern sweet tea for them. Um, and Rachel, how many cups of sugar is it per gallon of tea? Three cups of sugar and one gallon of tea, okay? So it's really not so much tea as it is syrup, all right? And, uh, and that's, uh, that is a common drink down there. Um, this is part of the reason that once I moved from there and I could not get that at all of the fast food places, I have lost weight. Um, <laughs> is because I do not have sweet tea anymore. Uh, Another side effect of um, that kind of eating um, is, as you can imagine, obesity. Um, And so uh, Mississippi is a state that I I am originally from. Uh, It leads the nation, uh, the U.S., consistently in obesity um, and the most... uh, most fat per capita um, in the in the U.S. Uh, not something for us to be proud of, but uh, but yeah, so it's a record they hold nonetheless. Um, and uh, and with that uh, comes a very common uh, disease. Um, there's a lot of type two diabetes um, in the people there uh, because of the obesity. And I have friends in the medical field that they would tell me they were like, you know, I was telling this patient is like, look, if you'll just change your diet, you know, cut out the sweet tea, um, you know, then you'll lose some weight and then that will take care of your type two diabetes. And they're like, well, what's the other option? Um, because I, I like sweet tea. I don't want to give that up. Um, and so, uh, so yeah, that's, that's the way we are a lot of times as people, um, about a real problem. There's a way to solve the real problem, but we would rather just deal with the symptoms, right? Because we, we kind of like that real problem. Um, we, we like uh, our food. We like the way that we want to eat, and we don't want to change that. Um, now, I'm not, don't hear me wrong on the diabetes thing. Like, I know all of it cannot just be controlled by diet, and there's especially a big difference between type 1 and type 2. Uh, Derek, what are you, are you type 1? Yeah, Derek's type 1. Obviously not obese, all right? Um, Marjorie is very on, very on top of his diet, so uh, no sweet tea for Derek. No, no sweet tea for Derek. So, uh, But yeah, so we, we have these, this kind of a problem, and we would rather just deal with the symptoms than deal with the real problem. Well, today in the passage we're looking at today, uh, Jesus gets to the heart of a real problem that the disciples have, and it's the same problem that we have. And a lot of times we don't want to look at this problem. We would rather just look at the symptoms, right? We would rather treat uh, the symptoms instead of getting to the real issue, the real thing um, that's at the bottom of the situation. And so this problem is the problem of pride. It's a problem that that we all have. Um, Pride is... It goes back in Scripture to the very beginning uh, when the serpent came and tempted um, Eve. He came and tempted her with pride, saying, you, you know, if you just eat of the tree, if you do the thing that God's told you not to do, what's going to actually happen is you are going to be as good and as smart and as wise and as big as God. You will be a God yourself. 
And what is that? It's pride. That was the original sin that corrupted everything came from pride. It came from a spot of pride. And uh, Scripture tells us in Proverbs sixteen eighteen, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. So Scripture warns us that, hey, pride is a problem. That if you don't deal with it, bad things are going to happen. And we come on a passage today uh, in Luke chapter 9. And this is what we do here at Potter's House. We work through books of the Bible. And so we've been in Luke for a while now, and we're in Luke chapter 9. And you might uh, see why it takes us a while, because we're only going to cover three verses today. So Luke 9, starting in verse 46, it says this, An argument arose among them, them being the disciples, as to which of them was the greatest. But Jesus, knowing the reasoning of their hearts, took a child and put him by his side and said to them, Whoever receives this child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives him who sent me. For he who is least among you all is the one who is greatest. And so, the disciples are fighting. They're arguing. They're arguing over who's going to be the greatest. And so, Jesus says, he identifies the real problem. The real problem is the pride. The problem is not just their argument. Their argument is the symptom that's working out of the pride that's in their heart. And so we can see a couple things about pride from this passage today. First, pride leads to arguments and fighting. Why is that? Because pride says, I'm number one. And what I want is most important. And therefore, everyone should come to what I want, and they should bow down and worship me. Right? But when Ken also has pride and he is saying the same thing about himself, well, then that's not going to work very well because both of us are just looking out for number one. Any parent that has more than one child knows what, the, what I'm talking about, right? Uh, when your kids are constantly fighting, what's the, what's the real issue? The real issue is pride. The pride in them is uh, fighting for parents' attention, fighting for uh, knowing their, their status in the family, um, fighting for uh, their their place, right? And that's where, where their pride is, is boiling up. And it's easy as parents to, like, come down on them, and then we look in the mirror and, like, well, wait, I have pride too. You know, like, like why, 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 do, why do they act this way? Well, they kind of got it from me, right? They, they inherited it um, from us. And so we see this over and over again. It's common sense. Pride leads to arguments and fighting. And that's what's happening here with the disciples. Next, pride breeds entitlement. Disciples are arguing because they think that they deserve to be the greatest. Uh, We don't know for sure exactly what brought on this discussion, but uh, we can read back a few verses above this and see what had just happened. And Jesus had just gone up on the mountain, and how many of the twelve did he take with him? Only three. Um, And so only three of the disciples went up on the mountain when Jesus is transfigured into his glory. There's Peter, James, and John. And so I can imagine a day later, um, those other nine are sitting here saying, well, 
wait a second, um, where do I rank in this thing? You know, he left me down here with the masses while the three of them got to go hang out with him on a mountain. Um, you know, where, where do I fit in this whole picture? Does he not know what I've done um, for him? Uh, does he not know um, what I gave up to follow him? I mean, some of these guys, you know, uh, like, like Matthew, was, was probably pretty wealthy as a tax collector. Um, you know, I, I gave up all of that wealth and everything to come follow this, this you know, homeless guy around. And what, what, is, what does he think? You know, like, what, what's up with this? You know, he, he should know how much I'm owed um, here, right? And that's what pride says. Pride says, I'm entitled. I'm owed something. This is, this is what I deserve. I deserve to be considered the greatest I deserve in your kingdom that I think you're about to set up here on earth to be giving, given a very high position. This is what I am entitled to. Next thing we see about pride is that pride comes from the heart. But Jesus, knowing the reasoning of their hearts, it comes from within. We don't have to be taught to be prideful, right? Did any of your parents sit you down and say, okay, now here's how you be prideful? (laughs) No, but yet we all have it. It comes naturally to us. We have this natural desire that we want to be the greatest. We want to be the best. Um, If you don't think about this, just... Just think about all of the world records that are out there, okay? And think about how silly some of the world records are that we officially keep track of, okay? Um, On July 28, 2013, 1,213 people broke a Guinness World Record by applying facial masks for 10 minutes at the same time. Yeah, they put masks on their face at the same time. And they were the most people to do that at the same time for 10 minutes. So, so they will live in, on in notoriety for their greatness of applying facial masks. Um, uh, February 2013, 4,483 people hula hooped for seven minutes. Um, setting a world record for the most people simultaneously hula hooping. Uh, oh, okay, Ken. Here's one that you can you can go after. Um, the Guinness World Record for most spoons on a human body uh, belongs to Etbar Elchiviv, um, and he won the title with 50 metal spoons magnetized to his body. So, yeah. So figure out a way to get 51 metal spoons magnetize your body and there you go uh now here's one i I don't know how a a canadian does not have this record okay like we really need to step it up here um a man from china set the world record for the longest time spent in direct full body contact with snow Um, his time was 46 minutes and seven seconds and they had a picture of him and it was just like he was completely covered in snow except for his head. So, yeah, it's it it pretty weird. So, uh, 
here's, here's another great one. Uh, June 2010, runners dressed in inflatable sumo costumes and claimed the new world record for mass sumo suits gathered at a run in Battersea Park in London. All right, so you might think that the sumo runners would be uh, maybe from China or Japan. No, London. London uh, holds the record for the most sumo suit runners. Um, Let me see. Oh, okay. Uh, Who's had a big wedding party? Any big big wedding parties? How, How many do we have? Eight on each side. Anybody else? Anybody beat eight? So we hold the record. Yeah, that was all her, by the way. I was just like, hey, dudes, come stand up here with me. I don't care. Um, well, this lady um, in Sri Lanka uh, broke the wedding rec- ceremony record uh, for the most bridesmaids for a bride uh, in 2013 with 126 bridesmaids, 25 best men, accompanied by 20 page boys and 23 flower girls. Uh, the wedding ceremony broke a previous record of having 96 bridesmaids for a bride at a wedding in Thailand. I mean, can you, ladies, can you imagine the, the getting ready room with 126 <laughs> bridesmaids? Like, what is going on in there? And then 23 flower girls? I mean, one flower girl is like herding a cat. 23 of them? Like, did they just have flowers everywhere? Like, what is that? But anyway, we're, as, as human beings, we have this draw to be, want to be the greatest. And that's why we come up with these silly ways for world records. I hold the record for almost dying of hypothermia by covering myself in snow, right? Like, I have majorly accomplished something. But that's part of who we are. It comes from our hearts. It comes out in us. Number four, pride comes from not understanding the gospel. And you say, well, wait, Wayne, where did you get that from? I didn't see Jesus say anything about the gospel there. Well, if you go back up to the passage we covered last week, Jesus said, Let these words sink into your ears. The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. And then it goes on to say that they didn't understand what he was talking about. But Jesus said, I am about to die. I'm about to give my life for mankind. And their response to that, he's talking about how he's going to humbly lay down his life for us. And their response is, I want to be the greatest. Look at me. What about me? What position am I going to have? And if we're honest, we're just like the disciples. And the only thing that can put us into perspective and put our hearts right with God is getting a real understanding of the gospel. The gospel is the good news of Jesus. And the good news is the fact that while we are sinners, that we are, while we are prideful people who do all kinds of prideful things, 
and have all of the repercussions of our pridefulness. A loving God sent his one and only son to die on a cross for us. The only one who never sinned. The only one who really deserved to be prideful, right? He's the only one really worthy of being prideful because of how great he is and all that he's done. But yet he humbled himself and took on our flesh and came and lived a sinless life and died on a cross paying the punishment for sin. We know that he died because he was buried. And he rose again, defeating death, defeating that punishment for us. And so to understand that, to understand that gospel means that you are going to be humbled. You cannot be presented with with the true gospel of Jesus Christ and you say, look how great I am. Even God died for me. No. That's not a, a saving response to the gospel. A saving response to the gospel is to humble yourself. Say, I'm unworthy. I bow down. I lay my crowns at the feet of Jesus. I'm unworthy is the true response to the gospel. And so, moving on in our passage here, Jesus, knowing the reasoning of their hearts, took a child and put him by his side and said to them, whoever receives this child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. For he who is least among you all is the one who is greatest. So, is Jesus proposing here salvation by children's ministry? That those who serve in the children's ministry are the ones who will be saved? No, he's not proposing that. I propose they might have a special place in heaven. Um, but uh, they... That is not what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is not saying that to be saved, uh, you need to accept kids. What is he saying? Well, to understand that, we need to understand this culture. And we need to understand uh, culturally what's going on when he does this. Now, in our culture, um, children are really kind of looked up to in, in some ways. Um, when, whenever I take my son somewhere... Uh, people want to talk to him uh, that, you know, oh, he's so cute or whatever. And, uh, and then they're like, oh, he talks. It's like, yeah, it's because he doesn't grow. He just looks really small, but he can talk. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, and so like, but people really um, want to, to talk to kids, right? And engage kids. They're, they're kind of in an elevated status in our culture to some degree. Well, in this culture, uh, children did not have an elevated status. Um, in fact, especially for a grown man, uh, it was considered uh, kind of a waste of time to spend time with, with kids, especially if they weren't your own kids. Um, and so that's why in other passages we see uh, where kids are wanting to come to Jesus and the disciples are shooing them away, saying, no, he doesn't have time for you. He's, he's, he's too important uh, for the kids. And Jesus says, no, let the kids come to me. Um, well, that's the kind of mentality they had towards kids. It's like, why would I bother with that lowly person over there, right? Um, like, they are, they are just needy beings um, that need to be taken care of. 
And what Jesus is saying is, um, what he does is he's, he's in this moment, and he's saying, what's the best way that I can, I can demonstrate to them what's, what humility is? What's the opposite of the pride that's going on in their hearts? The opposite is, hey, you see this kid? You need to humble yourself and, and love and take care of this kid. And that's, that's where, where Jesus is. And he, so that's what he's really saying is that what is required for us for salvation is for us to humble ourselves. If you think you can pridefully achieve rightness with God and a right relationship with him, you're going to fail. The only way to be made right with God is through Jesus. And that requires humility. That requires humbling yourself before him and saying, yes, Lord, you are my Savior. Because those who receive Christ receives his Father who sent him. So you not only get Jesus, but you get God the Father as well. And he goes on and he says, For he who is least among you all is the one who is great. So Jesus is telling us, like, hey, we want to, you know, aspire for our own greatness. But in reality, what we need to aspire for is humility. The kind of humility that he showed coming and laying down his life for us. If we're following him, if we're following his example, that's what he's asking of us. And that's hard. That's not natural. Pride is natural. Pride just comes out. Humility doesn't. Humility takes effort on our part, but it also takes the work of him in our lives to bring us to that place, to show us the areas where we are prideful. And so... I ask you today, have you admitted that you need the, him as your Savior? That takes humility. Coming to Christ for salvation takes humbling yourself. Have you done that? If you have, then how are you doing on staying humble? How are you doing on living in a spirit of humility following Jesus? Is there areas in your life where your pride is building up? Are you just trying to treat the symptoms of that but not deal with the real issue? Because the pride in your heart is the real problem. And humbly accepting Jesus as our Lord and Savior is the answer. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I confess that I am a prideful person. I thank you that you have forgiven me, uh, that you uh, constantly forgive me for the areas where my pride uh, leads me to sin. And Lord, I pray for each of us that if there's areas in our life where pride is not in check, uh, where we need to humble ourselves, Lord, I pray that you will show that to us, uh, that through your spirit, you will just make that a reality to us today. And God, we just thank you for all that you do for us and all the ways uh, that you
you love us, that you loved us so much that you sent your one and only son, that he humbled himself to the point of death on a cross, paying our punishment in our place. And God, I pray for anyone here who doesn't, does not yet know the freedom that's found in that salvation and the truth of the gospel. Lord, I pray that you will draw them to yourself and that you will show them the pride in their life and all of the ways that it affects them and the reality of the fact that they need you and just bring them to that place of humility before your cross where they can cry out to you. God, I thank you for all that you do for us. In Christ's name, amen.